This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts, podcast guests, their employers, or affiliates may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Jesse Puji, and today we're breaking down Cameo, a video sharing marketplace where you can buy personalized videos from your favorite celebrities. Cameo was founded in 2016 and reached unicorn status last year after it's produced millions of messages since its founding. To break down Cameo, I'm joined by the company's CEO and founder, Stephen Galanis. In this breakdown, we discuss the unusual origin story of the business, how they manage the two-sided marketplace, and discovering a scalable pricing model. Please enjoy this business breakdown of Cameo. Stephen Galanis, welcome to Business Breakdowns. Thanks for having me. Let's jump right in. You are the co-founder and CEO of Cameo. For someone listening out there who does not know, what is Cameo? Cameo is a marketplace where you can book personalized video messages from over 50,000 of the most exciting names in pop culture, sports, and entertainment. We began the business in 2016 and have continued to build a platform and a marketplace where both fans and now brands can directly connect with their favorite stars. Give us a quick sense for scale, however you guys measure it. You mentioned 50,000. Are there other metrics just to talk about how big Cameo is? We've done millions of videos since we started now. company last year sold Cameos in 184 countries. We actually sold some in Antarctica, a few new researchers in Antarctica. So it's become pretty ubiquitous. And then we have talent in 173 countries around the world. Maybe a couple of case studies would be valuable. I understand it's a marketplace where you've got creators on one side and customers on the other. Maybe one or two on each side just to help us really visualize why somebody uses Cameo, what the value proposition is. I go back to the very beginning of the company. One of the first 100 Cameos we sold was from a musician And that musician's name was Ben Bruce, and he was the lead singer of the band Asking Alexandra. He got a request via Cameo from one of his fans. And in the request, the fan goes, hey, my girlfriend's brother just overdosed on heroin, and your music is the only thing keeping her going. Can you just tell her how much you love her and how sorry you are that she couldn't make your show in Chicago? So imagine as an athlete, as an actor, as a musician, to have direct access to that fan. And in that case, Ben was able to create this video. And I still have like tingles down my spine when I think of the words that he was able to give. So the idea at the beginning was that the selfie was the new autograph and that the personalized video message was really taking something that had always happened since the Greek and Roman times. We've always looked up to our stars and sports and theater. People have always wanted that memorabilia to say that they met that person or that moment. And in the social media age, it's not about taking a signed thing and putting it on your wall. It's about having something that you can put and share with your social network 
of your favorite person saying how much they love you or thank you for being a fan or congratulations. I think I bought one for like my dad's birthday as a joke. What are the most common kind of events you see tied to someone on the consumer side wanting a cameo? Birthdays for sure. And then congratulations, roasts, you name it. If you can say it, you can say it with cameo. What about on the creator or the star side? I mean, what's a case study? What's an example of why they do this or what the value is for them? From the beginning, when we were starting it, there was a documentary on ESPN that came out called Broke. It was one of those 30 for 30 documentaries that they did. And I'll never forget the stat that I learned in that documentary that 80% of NFL players go broke five years after playing their last game. And ultimately, it's because the internet has created a class of people who are more famous than rich. So there's a really big gap between fame and monetization on the internet. And a lot of people with hundreds of thousands of followers or millions of followers on Instagram or TikTok have no real way to earn a living from it. A really good example of this was my co-founder, Devin, who was one of the original stars on the social network Vine. Devin had over a billion loops on Vine and never made a dollar from anything on the platform. This is back in 2015, before monetization or influencers were really seen as a career. There were people like Devin that were highly followed and really influential, but they weren't able to monetize at all. So we set out to build a platform where talent could directly monetize their social in a brand positive way. And one of the things that we always say is that on Cameo, the talent is getting paid to become more famous and more beloved. Because when you get a Cameo, when you got that Cameo for your dad for his birthday, your dad liked that person more after he did that video than you did before. What's a good case study example on the creator side of someone who's made this a meaningful income source or something you guys share around that? A couple of really good ones that have been published. So I'm not giving any new news here because typically we do not disclose individual talent or creators' earnings as company policy. But a couple of years ago during COVID, it was very well celebrated that Brian Baumgartner, who's Kevin Malone from The Office, was the first cameo talent to make a million dollars on the platform in a year. So people can make very significant income there. Another one that just came out internationally, James Buckley, who plays an iconic character in the English show, The Inbetweeners, was the first international star to cross the million dollar threshold. This is a random aside, but for the office guy, like what did he make on The Office? Like, How does that compare to what he actually made on the TV show? I can't tell you what he made on the TV show. But as an example, Sean Astin, who is another like iconic character from many things like Rudy and Lord of the Rings, he came to a company all hands recently and said that he's made more from Cameo than from all the residuals of everything that he's done combined. And he's been in some pretty iconic series. So I don't know for sure what people make off of our platform, but I know that for many of these stars, it becomes really significant income stream because they weren't able to monetize their traditional role as well as one might think. So they make real money, it sounds like. That's pretty impressive. They certainly can. Just like any other marketplace, where there's a power law distribution in Cameo and there's plenty of folks that have come on and never made money. But one of the things that we've always seen is that if talent want to come on, they want to promote, they want to do the things that we tell them to do, they price themselves in the right way, they can do well. You mentioned a couple of the early days stories, but how did you guys come up with this idea? What was some of the early day inspiration? What was the aha where you were like, oh, this is going to be a thing? 
We had the idea at my grandmother's funeral, which is the last place you think you're going to have your billion dollar idea. My co-founder, Martin, then friend, had flown in for the day for my grandmother's funeral from Los Angeles. My uncle was a, and still is a movie producer, and Martin had worked with him for a very long time. Martin had recently left movie production and was trying to cut his teeth as being a sports agent. And he had one client, and that client was named Cassius Marsh. And he was a player on the Seattle Seahawks. And Martin ended up telling me this crazy story where Cassius Marsh, who is also a very avid Magic the Gathering player, had ended up having his car broken into and had a bunch of Magic the Gathering cards stolen out of his car. Now, it's a pretty crazy story when a big NFL defensive lineman loses his Magic the Gathering cards. He goes on Twitter. He tweets out about it. It goes all over Barstool, goes completely viral. And Martin, as the agent for this player, who was playing for the Seattle Seahawks and Wizards of the Coast, which is the company that owns Magic the Gathering, is also based in Seattle. He was trying to get him an endorsement deal, and he couldn't even get Cassius Marsh an endorsement deal because he wasn't a starter, right? In the NFL, the top 1% of athletes make 99% of all the endorsement revenue. So unless you are Russell Wilson on that team, you're not getting any endorsement money. And then this goes back into this stat I was talking earlier about how many of these guys will end up going broke. So as Barton was telling me, I've got this guy, he's got such a big personality, and I'm so frustrated because I can't find him an endorsement deal. He pulled out his phone and he showed me a video of Cassius congratulating his buddy on becoming a father. And he's wearing no shirt. He's driving in Los Angeles. He's all tatted up. I'm watching this video. And as he's showing it to me, explaining, look at his personality. He's oozing charisma. The Eureka moment just came off. And I'm like, Martin, we need to sell those. And that day, I ended up driving him back to the airport to O'Hare. The second he got through security, he called me back. He's like, hey, I like where we're going with this. Come back. Let's go riff on it. So the next day, I flew to Los Angeles. We set up shop at the uh, Soho house there in West Hollywood. And after a few too many margaritas, we ended up coming up with the idea that would become Cameo. What was the biggest thing that's different about Cameo today than what you came up with on that day? We have more businesses now. So when we came up with Cameo at that point, we envisioned a marketplace where only athletes could monetize personalized video messages, but we also thought they would be able to sell a tweet or a phone call or a bunch of different things. And we also believed that they would sell custom merch as well. So we basically imagine for X amount of money, you as a fan could buy Y from Z athlete. And then what happened is we built the business out. We ended up getting narrower in scope and we just focused on the personalized video message for five years, but we got broader in the supply side and like who could be on. So it wasn't just athletes, then it was YouTube stars and reality TV stars and musicians and all those other things. So I would say like the biggest change is that we went broader and who would be allowed to be on Cameo, but then we went narrower in the business model four or five years in. We now own a merch company, which is kind of funny because it's very different from the personalized video message. But very few people know the first thing we ever sold on the site that would become Cameo was a pair of Cassius Marsh socks. He had a tattoo. We put him on a pair of socks. We sold those first. So merch ended up getting us back to our roots in some degree. And we have a B2B side of Cameo as well now, which 
is actually selling these personalized video messages that are being made for brands, TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat. So in some ways, we end up like fulfilling the ultimate early vision, but it just looks different than we probably thought at the time. I want to go into all of those categories here shortly. Before we do that, I guess you guys invented this market. There wasn't anybody else who sat in between and said, hey, you've got celebrities, creators, whatever you want to call them on one side, customers on the other. What does the landscape look like today? Or how do you guys think about the market, the competitors, the substitutes? So there were a host of folks who had tried to do similar businesses that we learned about later. This is certainly one of those businesses, especially when you meet people in Hollywood. Oh, 10 years ago, we tried to do this. But what we ended up finding was people either could get the talent, they had the talent relationships, but they couldn't build the tech or they could build the tech and they couldn't build the talent. Martin and I were really fortunate where we were squarely in those people that we felt like could be those few people in the world that could like get the supply side of the marketplace going. But what was really critical for us in the early days was building the tech. And Devin, our co-founder, is our technical co-founder. Martin and I cannot code. So we were just two guys with an idea. And it really wasn't until we had Devin that I would say we really, frankly, had something. And I did give a little background on Devin, right? Devin worked at Microsoft and he was famous on Vine. So there's not many engineers that are viral media stars. And Devin's one of those few people. So I really think without Devin, this wouldn't have gotten anywhere. When you guys look at the landscape or when you think about the customer for a birthday, for example, how do you think about that decision to use you guys? I'm just curious how you compete. Broadly, we are not a physical good. So one interesting thing, I remember in the early days of Cameo when every dollar I had, I'd put it in the business, but I was still getting invited to all these weddings. I would go and purchase a Cameo for the people whose wedding it was. And oftentimes that cost more than the gift I would have bought them, but I didn't get any thank you notes. There's something about Cameo where despite the cost, People are like, that is the coolest thing ever, but they don't perceive it as value in the same way. Like, hey, thank you for this teapot that you bought me, right, for my wedding. So I still have friends that I went to their weddings in late 2016, early 2017, that still will make fun of me for not buying their wedding gifts. And the truth is I bought it. My larger point is, this is a pretty unique gift. It tends to be paired with other things, I would say. It's not just that like, oh, for my dad's birthday, I got him a cameo. Like you probably also like took him to dinner or did something else. But the cameo was like the best moment of that day. That's what we tend to see over and over again. And broadly, there aren't many things like it. Now from the talent side, there are now a lot of ways that talent can monetize the internet directly to their fans in a way that five, 10 years ago, there weren't. So now you're seeing things like Patreon and OnlyFans and other platforms where people are trying to sell advice or micro-coaching that are broadly happening. But largely, like five and a half, six years in, we tend not to have major competition in the core market. And how big can the market be? Like I'm sure you've obviously pitched VCs and stuff. How did you guys think about market size for this business? Well, if you just look at the supply side, it's been widely published that there's 50 million members of the creator economy today. I don't think every one of them are highly monetizable on Cameo. So if we were to say, like, let's take a look at the top 10% of those folks and look at where they are. And then when you really think, 
every country in the world has their local celebrities. I call it the La Scarola test. It's a very famous restaurant in Chicago where every famous person that's come in has their picture on the restaurant. And these can be Matthew McConaughey or it could be like the local weatherman. So I believe in a hyper-local way, the market is really, really big. We think that there's two and a half million people today that could be highly monetizable on Cameo right now. And I believe that number is going to double in the next five years as the internet is literally creating more fame. Like every day, there's more people blowing up on TikTok and SoundCloud and all these different platforms. So I believe the amount of fame in the world is exponentially growing. And we're right now linearly increasing our supply side. And as we think about how do we really capture this market, we need to think about what can we do to inflect that number and actually exponentially increase our supply side. And the two and a half million makes sense. Do you have a number in mind? How much per person on average? I realize there's a huge distribution in a power law, but is it a thousand on average? Is it 10,000 on average? You know, if you were to go look at pitch decks that we had from different times, We have a perspective certainly there on how monetizable different folks are. But this is a TAM that we think is multiple tens of billions of dollars of TAM globally. And it's just starting. When you're truly creating a new market, you are always going to be met with skepticism on that because folks are going to come and say like, well, okay, Cameo size is in the hundreds of millions. The rest of the market is a rounding error to that. But we've watched this TAM just continue to explode. And we realized that our ability to execute on product and innovate in this space is really like uniquely making the TAM bigger, which is kind of cool. Let's go a little bit deeper into the business. When you think about the economics of how it works in the marketplace, their supply side, demand side, recurring revenue, there's all these different pieces of it. How do you think about it or how would you describe the business model? And then I want to go into each piece of it and talk a little bit in more detail. So we're a pretty traditional managed marketplace. We have humans who work hard every day to manage the supply side of our market, which is the celebrities. So we have a team of folks whose job is to recruit new supply every day. And then we have another crew of folks whose job is to make sure that the supply on the platform are having the best possible experience. So they're working with them on things like pricing, promotion strategy, referrals. Hey, Ice-T, I saw you were recording with Snoop Dogg. Can you refer him to Cameo and we'll give you a portion of his bookings as a referral fee, right? This is how our model works. Every single talent is on the exact same financial split. It's a 75-25 split talents way. Payment processing comes out of our 25%, except for the Apple fee and the Android 30% tax. About 20% of cameos that are booked off web and on the mobile app for iOS or Android, there's a 30% tax that Apple and Google take before the 75-25 split. The reason that these companies are taxed for those that don't follow this issue very closely, cameos have been, along with a lot of subscription products from other digital creators have been seen as digital goods versus physical work. So if you're playing Farmville and you have 100% gross margin products that they're selling, Apple can take 30% of that because there's no incremental work needed to produce the additional good. But in our case, people are doing additional work, but they are being taxed for it, I believe, unfairly. So I do think at some point, 
these rules will change, but that is an interesting part of the business model that's prevented us from investing as deeply in the Android and Apple ecosystem as we otherwise would. And from your perspective, it's like, how is it any different than an Uber driver picking you up? It's a person on the other side doing a job. It just isn't different, right? It's literally exactly the same thing. There's a lot of things written in Apple's rules. For example, digital good is something that shouldn't be able to be consumed outside of the app. But cameos can clearly be consumed outside of the Cameo app. You take it, you put it on your phone, you text it to your dad, you post it on Instagram. All that's happening outside the app where that extra life that you just bought in Farmville or in any digital game, nothing can happen outside. So I believe they've been misinterpreting their own rules, but another story for a longer podcast. Staying on the supply side for just a second, I guess it sounds like you're recruiting talent, then you obviously want to make sure they're doing a great job. Is there a key metric that you think about in terms of productivity or retention? How do you kind of manage the supply side or manage a supplier? In the early days at Cameo, a couple of things that we've realized right away. We found the retention of talent was highly correlated by how they'd done on their last video. So for those that haven't used the platform yet, when you go to book a Cameo, the talent have seven days to turn the video around. If they don't do it in seven days, the video expires, as we call it, and the customer is refunded. No harm, no foul, except you had a shitty experience because you didn't get your dad's birthday gift that you were so thoughtful about choosing out. What we found is that if people have done three cameos in a row, they're like 97% likely to do the next one. And on the flip side, if they haven't done their last three, there's almost no chance they're going to do the next one. So we ended up over the years finding a couple interesting onboarding metrics and retention metrics. And the onboarding metric that ended up being the magic one for us early that has evolved since then, but it was called 4 and 14. If somebody came on Cameo, did four Cameos in their first 14 days, we knew they would retain. And it was a huge effort of our cross-functional teams that once somebody came on, we were doing everything we could to get them their first four bookings. Because then basically... It became part of their life. They like understood how to do it. They didn't need the hand-holding. Nothing's worse than if you download something and three months go by and you don't get booked. And then all of a sudden you get booked and it's not on the front page of your app store anymore. Do you think on the supply side, in terms of traditional sort of CAC and LTV, like what does it cost me to acquire these folks? And then what do I make off of them over a period? Is that mostly how you guys look at it? We certainly do look at it like that. And from like a fully loaded perspective, we are paying the salaries of our talent team. So we have to take that into account into the talent LTV costs. We're spending money on not as much on marketing, but we have a marketing team who's really not doing paid so much, but more like promotion strategies. So they're creating assets for them. So we look at a lot of that on a fully loaded basis. Now, flipping to the demand side, talk a little bit about that. How are you getting customers... How do you think about what the important metrics are there? So one of the things we were really blessed by is that Cameo had, especially in the early days, this really unique viral flywheel where we would onboard supply, we would drive awareness that they came on either through our CRM, our social posts, or by the talent promoting themselves and taking their link. Everyone now knows about the LinkedIn bio, but like back in the day there weren't that many people promoting different things on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter. So we would create a link for everyone, cameo.com slash Steven. That would be mine. 
I would tweet it out. My followers would learn about Cameo. So I could turn my followers into Cameo's customers for free. Then some percentage, some small percentage of those people that saw the tweet are going to end up converting, buying a Cameo. Most Cameos are bought as gifts, about 80%. So imagine you were the customer, you buy a Cameo, you share it to your friend, and then your friend statistically is going to share it on social or in a group chat or somewhere else. So me coming on, it was talent comes on, promotes, somebody buys, that person buys, they share, and then that other person shares on social. And that's the flywheel that really got Cameo going. So we always like to say that every Cameo is a commercial for the next one. And does that mean like when you think about your demand side, do you guys have a distinctly better CAC LTV than comparable companies? Or how does that show up in the numbers? Historically, we did. And then you would always have these viral moments that would happen. So just last night, for example, we were on The Simpsons, which is pretty crazy. Like one of my favorite shows growing up. And I get somebody setting me the opening and Krusty is recording a cameo in the opening scene of The Simpsons last night. Moments like that would happen or we end up on SNL or some cameo goes viral and people read about it. So PR and viral buzz have been a really big part of the business. Obviously, what we've tried to do, because it is hard to control virality, and you are at the whim of somebody putting you on their show or some news story going hyper viral. So we've spent a lot of time and effort in the last two years of building programmatic growth and having growth levers that we can actually control. That is an ongoing process because when you've been so blessed with this free customer acquisition and basically an unlimited amount of free influencer marketing for free, adding any type of paid component, you start looking at those numbers and they're not as fun as the numbers used to be. Are there any interesting supply and demand? It sounds like one, the idea that a supply side person promotes and then that creates demand is a cool crossover dynamic. There's this famous thing about Uber, right? Which said that, I think it was Bill Gurley, is that for every minute the wait time goes down, the usage would increase by a factor of 10 or something crazy like that, which led everyone to underestimating the size of the market. Are there interesting dynamics inside of your business where supply and demand sort of drive each other in interesting ways? There certainly are, but I still think the supply begetting demand is a really unique component of our marketplace. Drivers on Uber can't promote themselves or get booked without the marketplace. It's kind of interesting where our supply is relatively non-fungible compared to an Uber driver or a DoorDasher or something like that. But from this, the most interesting component to me is actually that there's a lot more supply side capacity for each talent than you would expect. And we see this because at the busiest times of our year, Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's Day, when demand spikes, people are literally capable of doing hundreds of cameos a day when on a normal time, they might be doing five to 10. So it is really interesting. And when we look at our talent NPS surveys, the number one thing they tell us is they love cameo. They just want to do more. And I've now taken the stance that the business has shifted from being supply side constrained as it was for the first few years. Oh my God, I'm a Philadelphia sports fan. And we used to get people right in. I want any Philadelphia athlete. But now, you know, you go look at the Phillies, the Sixers, like you can go 10 deep and 
20 deep, 30 deep in a lot of these categories. And now it's not just about supply side. Now it's like, how do we get everybody booked more? And we're still trying to crack them. And on the demand side, you obviously have these holidays, which it sounds like are big periods. How do you think about, I guess, getting the customer to keep coming back and using it more, expanding the use cases? That's the $10 billion question for Cameo. Cameo is a high NPS, but low repeat rate product right now. This is a product with an NPS in the 70s, which is right up there with like any consumer product that you buy or an N of 5 million. You look at our reviews, the average review is 4.9999. Every person that you meet that's used Cameo will be like, oh my God, best gift ever, best money I've ever spent on anything. But we are still desperately trying to get people to come back and have that A-plus first experience and get back in our ecosystem. And we've tried to do that through a variety of means, through adding new services to the platform. So over the last couple of years, we've launched things like Cameo Live, which is basically a Zoom call where you and 10 buddies could come on and meet with your favorite musician or athlete or whatever. So there's a lot of innovation that we've continued to do. But Right now, it's still like, how do we crack the nut on the core marketplace and get people coming back over and over again? And just like anything, we do have a power law dynamic of customers that have bought hundreds of cameos and they love it. So we try to study our whales and learn like, okay, what can we do for the whale that becomes generally valuable and applicable to the person that's going to buy one and a half times in their lifetime, which is the average person. One other aspect of it that always comes up as a user how do you think about pricing? What are the important sub-drivers of pricing or how pricing affects the business? Pricing is something that I am personally very passionate about. I'm an ex-options trader. So to me, that was another part of the big unlock at the beginning when you talk about why did this group of humans, Stephen, Devin, and Martin, why were they able to crack it? Martin kind of brought the talent side. Devin brought this tech meets influencer side. And I really brought the business side, the brand, the pricing and the promotion side. And on pricing, in the early days, when you're coming up with a completely new product, pricing is super complicated to think about. The question was, how expensive should this be? Should this be like $40,000? Like Andre Drummond of the Detroit Pistons originally told me he would need $40,000 to get booked from a cameo for the first time. And when I walked in through this math that I'd been playing around with, and I didn't know if this was going to work or not, but I came up with an equation called earnings per minute. And this worked particularly well with pro athletes because all their salary data is public. And I told Andre, Andre, you make $25 million a year on the Pistons. If you take $25 million, divide by 2,000 hours in a work year, you know, 50, 40 hour weeks, and then divide that by 60, you actually make $208 per minute. If your time in the NBA as a max salary player is $208 per minute, you could certainly do $200 videos in a minute and make the same effective rate while you're recording as you do playing on the platform. So it was that type of math that got people to make cameos way cheaper in the early days than people would otherwise have thought. And then as the platform's grown, I joke with Spencer Ruskoff about this who's one of our investors, that it has become more like a Zillow or Trulia where folks will window shop and they'll look at talent if they love the Real Housewives of New York. And they might say, oh, Dorinda's price there, Luann's price there. I'm going to go with Luann because I think she's the best relative deal. So people will look at relative pricing and then 
Also, a lot of athletes will take their jersey number and put that in the price. So Brett Favre has always been $400 because he was number four with the Green Bay Packers. Then he added some zeros to it. So pricing, the only thing as an option trader I can tell you is that people are inefficiently priced on Cameo, but we let them set their own price because I never want anybody to say that this wasn't worth their time. So if they set their own price, they can't say that. Now we have a data team that has created pricing recommendations. When we see people are very clearly off by looking at their conversion rates, we will talk to them. But ultimately, the pricing is in the hands of the talent. Are there system-wide things or like certain elasticities you notice or certain price things that above a certain number below that really shift the way demand works? We've seen different things like that threshold from 125 to 250 tends to be like a really good range. And then once people are out of that, you see demand go crazy. But one of the really famous stories at Cameo was, I remember looking at one of the Real Housewives pricing data, and she ended up having this graph that blew my mind as a former market maker. And basically, she started on Cameo at $40, and she kept raising her price, and she was making more money per day as she rose her price all the way till she got to $99. At $99, she was making $800 a day, let's say. She then raised her price to $150, and her bookings cut in half. So to make 17 less dollars of video, she cut her bookings in half. And that's the type of data that I would go show someone like her and say, hey, you should put your price back to 99 versus 125 because you're killing yourself here. Let's talk about B2B first. And then I want to talk a little bit about the economics of the business overall. So talk to us about B2B. Like, How did that come to be? And how have you seen it evolve? So we started seeing pretty early especially SMB and mid-market companies trying to hack Cameo and getting the talent for some the price that they were willing to do a fan video to make a small video for their Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat. And one I'll never forget was Brett Favre got booked by a car dealership in Wisconsin, and they wanted him to tell people to come out for the Labor Day sale. And the guy that used to work with Brett Favre, this guy, Sean Finnegan, who's a dear close friend, Sean ended up calling me and goes, Stephen, Brett will do this, but he just needs more money. It's clearly for somebody's business. And I go, well, how much more does he want? And he's like, I don't know, like, how about $10,000? We ended up going back to that person. We declined it. And we said, hey, since this is a business request, this would be $10,000, not $400. And ultimately, in 2020, we added a button allowing a business owner to come and say that this request was for their business and automatically changed price. We started to see some traction there. We then have spent the last two years building out this team that we call Cameo for Business. And now we're doing all types of things on the business side, help brands that didn't have access to talent before book talent in cheaper than they ever did, and really provide unmatched scale in the industry. We're not a talent agency, but if you were to look at the 50,000 talent we have relationships with, and compare that with CAA or WME, who mostly have somewhere like 5,000 each they work with. We're 10 times bigger than a lot of the traditional talent agencies in the breadth of the talent that we have. And what we've done is we've standardized the process of booking talent. You go to our website and you like pick somebody out and their business price is there. And if you've ever had to book celebrities for anything before in other businesses, like promoting your podcast or something like that, 
that's an arduous, very opaque process that can take months of back and forth and redlining. And we've standardized it because the talent are filming this on their iPhone. There's no production. So the cost is way cheaper. Do you think that the B2B will ultimately be bigger than the B2C business? Or what's your perspective on that? When you look at how big the digital ad spend TAM is, that's a massive, massive market. We don't have distribution today. People, what we're really selling is the raw asset. We're selling the piece of content that then is going to go and people are going to spend millions of dollars promoting it as a central part of their Instagram or TikTok campaign. So until we can have some type of distribution thing, I don't think it's going to be bigger, but it certainly is the fastest growing part of the company today. What are some of the other growth levers either inside the core marketplace or new initiatives that you're most excited about? I've always been taught that it's better to improve the core by 10% than to found a new business. It's just so hard to like find lightning in a bottle again. And so really what we're focused a lot on right now, our checkout team has created a bunch of really popular customer upsell features that people have really liked. One complaint we used to get all the time was that cameos took too long and we would anecdotally hear, I would have paid 3x or 4x more to get this in a day versus wait seven days like everybody else. So we've now started doing in the last year and a half priority booking basically where it's 24-hour turnaround. So you can pay X percent more and your cameo is fill or killed in 24 hours versus seven days. And that's been really popular. About 20% of folks are taking that option up. When you look at our negative NPS score, like any detractors on our NPS, the number one complaint is around character count and that we don't offer enough characters for people to tell their whole message. So we've been testing and this has been working really well, the ability for people to buy more characters if they wanted to go on. So I think bolt-on features like that are really, really exciting. Sounds like there's a lot of ways you can expand the business. Let's talk about whatever you're kind of willing and able to talk about regarding economics. Like when you think about $100 goes into the Cameo ecosystem, we know immediately that 75 goes to the talent, 25 stays with you guys, then you have to pay some 1% or 2% in processing. What are the other big numbers that matter out of your guys' 25? OpEx is like our big cost center. Like we have a lot of product and engineering. Like we're constantly trying to innovate especially over the last few years when we've expanded out our product SKU base from really one product to having... At one point, we had like five products in the last couple of years. As you're doing product-led growth, especially those are deeper, longer-term investments that aren't going to pay off day one necessarily. But you know, otherwise, we had historically been a fully distributed company from COVID till that. So we weren't paying office spaces. Then we realized in the last year that we just weren't going as fast as we used to when we were in offices. So we have started to make investments at bringing people back in to offices. t is something that is really important for us as we're recruiting celebrities. So just this weekend, for example, four of our folks were out at BravoCon in New York. And that's one of those opportunities where they can go and get in front of a lot of folks what about M&A? I know you guys recently acquired Represent. Talk about that acquisition and then maybe more broadly how you think about M&A. Represent was really exciting for us because of three main reasons. One, the team. There's a couple extraordinary folks at that company that we'd known for a long time 
that we really felt would be like A plus additions to the Cameo ecosystem. So I always start with team on that. Secondly, they had a product offering that was really complimentary. For those that don't know what Represent is, Represent's the largest celebrity merch company in the world. We had watched as some of the biggest stars in the world wouldn't come on Cameo, largely because they were already making so much money selling merch. And we really felt like we should have the ability to offer merch in our ecosystem as well to our 50,000 talent, but also to have a great way to work with folks that have over the years said no to being on Cameo. You know, they make Arnold Schwarzenegger's merch and have done Leonardo DiCaprio and Matthew McConaughey and folks like that. People that were very aspirational for us. So by getting them in the ecosystem, we now have a business relationship with many of those people in addition to others. And then lastly, in Cameo, talent can only make money by putting incremental effort in. So to make the million dollars a year that Brian Baumgartner or James Buckley make, there's a lot of videos that need to get made. And we are really excited about this idea in physical product where you put the upfront effort in, then you promote it, and then you're making money while you sleep. So that was something that we felt would be really exciting as a part of our talent offering. And then as we think about M&A broadly, we like to look at our asset. The 50,000 talent we have at Cameo is our Fort Knox. And so far, we've tried to, as we've evaluated some smaller companies in the creator economy, I'll call it the just add water philosophy. Many people, as you asked earlier, why didn't somebody else build Cameo or why didn't these other ones work? One of the big problems is People had great ideas, but then they couldn't get the supply side going because it is really, really hard to acquire supply side in a marketplace like that. So there are some companies that we looked at where it's like, hey, they built really great tech. They have a super strong founding team, but they didn't find product market fit ultimately because the supply side wasn't something they were able to crack. We've cracked the supply side. Maybe one plus one could equal three on a situation like that. One thing I want to go back to, I guess the merch, it sounds like, the more ways you can improve that earnings per minute for the great celebrities, the better your chances are of bringing on the A of the A-list or whatever. And then the more you get those, then at a good price, you can start to really get the demand side going. Totally right. So improving talent's earnings per minute is something that is really important to us. One thing we didn't talk about, just to circle back on it, though, it sounds like I just pulled up on my phone. I was actually going through it. I was like, oh, who are the tennis players? I'm sending my dad a tennis message. Like, there's no Roger Federer on there, which he's like A of the A-list or whatever. But I assume that's all an earnings per minute thing. So the more you can make money for that person, and then all of a sudden that must create that Uber thing where you'd have so much demand for Roger Federer. We tend to see now that he's retiring, we actually tend to see at that point, people will come on like later. So if you look at our football category, for example, we have like pretty much every NFL Hall of Famer the last 30 years is on Cameo today. But if you look at the Pro Bowl roster, it might be a third of it. So it just happens that there's kind of this pyramid. If you were to think about fame as a pyramid where people start really famous and then they become the most famous person in the world and then they're not the most famous person in the world and then they kind of come back down. And talent are constantly like rising and falling. We do best when talent are more famous than rich. And when Federer is at the peak of his career making $100 million a year, this is probably not something that he's going to do. Now, he can do it for charity. There's other times he'll do it for a sprint, but he's probably not going to wake up and put the same amount of time in that 
some retired player would do when they're doing it just as much because they miss the fans as for the money. Yeah, totally. I just followed Marshall Falk, one of my favorite Hall of Famers. Let's start to look forward together a little bit. If it's 10 years from now and you and I are talking again, Stephen, and Cameo kind of was bigger than all your hopes and dreams could have ever imagined even at this moment, what are some of the big things that happened both in terms of the business as well as maybe the macro environment? International will be a big part of the story. 2019, I did a trip to India and to Japan. And we'll talk about India for a second. When I get to India, I'm in Mumbai and every single person there is like, wow, this will kill it in Bollywood. But if you really understood India, do you know how crazy the South Indians will go for this? They literally build shrines and temples to Shah Rukh Khan and different stars when they're coming out. I'm Greek. I'm a Greek-American. And my parents and their friends will often ask, where is this Greek singer? And it's just such a big world of possibility that international must be a huge part of this for it to be as big as my hopes and dreams are. I really think even without doing other stuff, the international opportunity is massive. And then when you start thinking about East Asia and how big Japan could be and how big Korea could be, these are markets that I spent a lot of time thinking about. We're not well resourced enough yet to go attack them full throttle and really do what it takes to build the marketplace out. Are there other big levers or big things that you think can really take the business even beyond your current expectations? You mentioned retention earlier, and I believe that there is something out there, some feature, some loyalty program, something that we're going to do that's going to take retention. One of my advisors is a guy named Bing Gordon, who is a longtime Amazon board member, one of the founders of Electronic Arts. Bing talks about Amazon and how they had this one and a half X purchase frequency for the first five years. And then they discovered Prime and then it went from like 1.5 X to like 25 X like that. Our NPS is too high and our retention is too low for this to make any sense. The single most important unlock for us is what do we do to get people to come back and use this product over and over and over again? And we've had a bunch of ideas. We've tried a lot of things. We'll continue to try things. 10 years from now, if we're not talking about customer retention, we're probably not having a conversation. What about the flip of it? What are some of the biggest risks that you think about and or reasons that in 10 years, the business won't live up to what you want it to be? Number one, we need to always be that place where town can make the most money per minute on the internet. And we've started to see some cracks in that in the last year or last two years. As Cameo is rising, OnlyFans is actually blown up. And while most of the money on OnlyFans is getting made today from porn, we're starting to see some creators that you would traditionally say are more Cameo talent than OnlyFans talent that are starting to make really significant money, like million dollar months, things like that. And this is subscription revenue. If we can't be competitive, then we're going to lose our supply side to other things where they can make more money. Secondly, nobody's done this yet, but I have wondered if Cameo could be attacked by going hyper-verticalized on a particular niche. So I'm Cameo for rap or I'm Cameo for hockey or something like that. And if somebody were to go all in and really try to like win that, but the diversity of our network is the strength of it. So people are generally coming and then they find that there's all these different verticals. I'm not as worried about that, but I do think that that's something that we always should keep an eye on. Steven, how do you think about brand in terms of building the Cameo business? 
Brand has been absolutely critical to our marketplace. Now, I'll go from the very beginning. As you see, I'm rocking my Cameo shirt. And in the very early days, having the right name, which my brother ended up coming up with because he was like, people are making a Cameo in your life. Or just the logo, the style, the colors, everything was really iconic. And from the very beginning, we wanted to build a brand that was accessible enough that grandma could use the service, but cool enough that Snoop Dogg would wear it on stage. That's the type of thing that we've been maniacally focused on. And it's also interesting because in Hollywood and in Silicon Valley, the company has very different kind of brand standing. In Silicon Valley, it's seen as this super cool, celebrity, glitzy, glamour type of company. In Hollywood, we often have the reputation of being not bottom feeders, but the biggest talent in the world don't want to be associated with Cameo because it's all these has-beens or never-beens or all these other things. So one of the concepts that we built was this idea of the Cameo Famio. And it's the idea that for the talent, by being part of this network, their brand is actually enhancing versus it's something that's bringing them down. You talked about OnlyFans earlier, or some of these other marketplaces from a competitive perspective. How do you think about competing with them in general? But then does brand play into that? Brand plays a huge part of that. OnlyFans is probably the best example of this. When we became a unicorn, OnlyFans was very publicly out trying to raise money. And despite having numbers that were significantly bigger and better than cameos in every way, EBITDA, growth, top-line GMV, they had very well-documented struggles because institutional investors didn't want to underwrite a business with porn at its center. I love the team over there. I actually just had their CEO over at Cameo HQ. She's absolutely complete rock star. And I love a lot of the senior executives at that team. And they're trying to position themselves through OnlyFans TV and other initiatives that they're doing is a place for all types of interests, not just sexual ones. But that brand stigma is interesting. They built this massive business with all this free cash flow that it's spinning off every year, but they're not able to get the equity markup that they would otherwise deserve because of the vice clauses and a lot of venture capital and private equity companies' LP agreements. And that's too bad. One of the things that we very deliberately did from the beginning is we didn't allow nudity on Cameo, not because I'm against it. I would love people to be able to monetize any way they want on the ecosystem. But I knew that if we had porn, we couldn't be in the app store. We couldn't be in Android. Stripe, we couldn't use as a payment processor. So we decided to go a different route to build brand equity as opposed to just being worried about free cash flow. It's a super exciting business. Stephen, we asked the same three questions to everyone to close out the episode. Lessons for builders, lessons for investors, and then places people can go for further study. So let's just take them one at a time. When you look back, just really one lesson, what do you think the most important lesson is for entrepreneurs, executives, people building businesses out there? There's a Japanese philosophy called Ikigai. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's awesome for those of you that don't know. Imagine a Venn diagram, but instead of with two circles, there's four. So you've got the two right and left and then up and down. And the Japanese philosophy basically says that to be the best in the world at something, you have to find your Ikigai. And it's the intersection of what do you love to do? What are you great at? What does the world need? And what can you make money doing? And if you're missing any of those things, then you can't possibly be the best at it. Building businesses is really, really hard. 
And the only thing that has kept us going as a founding team for six years is that I truly believe that this business fits deeply within our Ikigai. When I'm not doing cameo, I'm at sporting events or I'm at concerts and I'm watching movies. So this is the world that I love. And I saw this a lot when the creator economy got very hot, especially after we became a unicorn. All types of people were like interested in creators that I'd never seen any like real organic interest in like fandom or anything. And they're making tweet threads about community and how important it is and all this bullshit. At the end of the day, you have to be authentic and you have to build a business that really is a manifestation of yourself. Yeah, I love that. What are the lessons for investors from the Cameo story? I'll tell you, a lot of people missed Cameo early because they just didn't see the TAM. They're just like, how could this possibly be so big? And there's one investor in particular in Chicago that's regarded by many as like the best early stage consumer investor. He's a legend. And not that many people passed on Cameo in the early, early days. There's a lot of people that now will say, oh, you know, we had the opportunity to get into the friends and family or the seed round and we didn't. It wasn't that true. But one person in particular was like so brilliant and just could not imagine how this was going to become a real business. But he always loved the founders. And then he's recently backed multiple other companies in this space. So he's gone from being this hater on the creator economy to like, shit, I miss Cameo, but now I get it and I see what's happening. So I would just say, especially at the early stage, for these ideas that really are innovative and going to change the world, like you got to bet on the founders as opposed to if you think they can possibly do it. Now, nobody wants to be the investor in the largest trombone oil company in the world. So TAM is important, but sometimes those special founders, they see something in the market that everybody else doesn't see. And like that's why you got to back them at the earliest stage if you believe in them. If people want to learn more about Cameo or talent marketplaces, just where would you tell them to go? I mean, there's been a lot written about us. There's been a lot of podcasts. I would highly recommend anyone that wants to know more about our story, tune in there. As far as creator economy, newsletters, I think that information does a pretty decent job of aggregating the stories of the day. Although I would just say like being on Twitter, following the right folks, follow founders and companies that you're really excited about and just be part of the conversation. And that's probably the best way to engage. Awesome. Steven, co-founder and CEO of Cameo. Thank you for coming on Business Breakdowns. Great. Thanks for having me. To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S.com. 